You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. G'day, uh, my name's Sam, I'm a student minister in the parish here. It's, uh, it's a privilege and a joy to explore God's Word with you this morning. Uh, Karen's going to read from the Bible for us in just a moment. But before she does, uh, I just want to quickly give us a tool to help us uh, hear it and understand it. So let me, let me pray before we do that. God, we pray as we open your word now that you would grow our love for you and for one another. And we pray that you would grow our belief in Jesus as well. Amen. If, you are, if you're on social media and you either use or you're pretty familiar with the idea of hashtags, can you, can you do this for me? Can you indicate for me that you're pretty familiar with hashtags? Okay, all right, that's not a lot. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain hashtags for us a bit. A hashtag is it's, it's a, a, like a comment that you add to a picture or a piece of writing or something to help you understand what's going on in that picture. Uh, it's a bit like an annotation. So... Here's a picture that I might put up on my Facebook account or Instagram or something like that. It's my wife, Ronnie, and I. And you look at that picture and you think, yeah, that, that's, that's a nice picture. Uh, but then if I add some hashtags to the picture like this, it helps us to understand a whole lot more about what's actually going on in that picture. So I put hashtag Nepal 2015 and we start thinking, oh, that's, that's where they are. They're not just in the Blue Mountains or something. Annapurna Mountains, hashtag so cold, which helps you to understand why I was so rugged up there. Hashtag sunrise, which explains something of the bleary eyes that we've got in that picture. So you use hashtags to help people understand what's going on in a picture or in a document or, or in any kind of piece of information like that. And this passage that we've got today, I'm going to give us some, some hashtags that will help us to understand what's going on in the passage. They'll pick up some key themes, repeated words, ideas, things like that. So if, you've got, if there's a Bible on the pew there, can you, can you grab that and can you open it to page 988, which is where our reading is? And when Karen reads for us, uh, we're not going to have the words up on the screen, we're going to have some hashtags, so try to follow along in a Bible if you can, or if there isn't one there, just listen. As I've kind of worked through this passage and explored it, here are some some hashtags that I think help us to understand the passage. There's lots and lots of language in this passage about love. So I think we can can say hashtag love on this passage. There's lots of family imagery as well. Children of God and son of God. There's lots and lots of repeated language around family. There's lots of belief knowledge kind of words as well. So things like how we know, truth, testimony, testify, words like that. There's lots of that going on in this passage. And there's lots of language about life and death. Life, eternal life, death. We can have that as a hashtag for this passage. There's lots going on uh, with those ideas. So as Karen reads for us, Karen reads for us in a moment, uh, I'll leave those up there and hopefully they'll, they'll help us just to track some of the big ideas that are going through this, this passage uh, and help us to understand it as best we can. So, Karen, would you like to 
read for us. Thank you. Okay, if you still don't have your page, that was 988, and we're reading from the first letter of John, chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. His commands, sorry. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given us, given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karen. So these, these verses are the last verses in John's letter. We've spent the last five weeks working through his letter, uh, and now we're coming to his final encouragements to these Christians that he's writing to. And in these last verses, lots of the, the big ideas of John's letter come together. So those, those hashtags, they help us to see lots of the big ideas that God, that God has and John has going through this passage, right? There's lots of language about son of God, children of God, brothers and sisters. There's lots about life and death. There's lots about truth and testimony and belief. And there's one really helpful verse in there that I think helps us to understand the whole thing. Uh, verse 13, have a look at that in front of you there. He writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John tells us why he's writing, why he's writing these words, why he's writing this letter. For those of us in the room who are Christians, this is in the Bible here so that we may know that we have eternal life. That we may know. This passage should give us assurance, confidence that we have eternal life. And, and, and let's be honest, sometimes we need that, don't we? Whether you've just started following Jesus or you've been walking with him for your whole life, do you have moments or seasons where you lack assurance of eternal life in Jesus? What if, what if there's something that I've missed all along? What if I don't actually understand what I need to be saved? What if I only believe because I've been in church my whole life and I've been conditioned by my family and by routine? What if the Christian faith isn't true? What if Islam or Buddhism or atheism is true and my faith is in vain? If you, if you ask those kind of questions, if you lack assurance, that's, that's not something to be ashamed of. That's not something sinful. It's not, it's not sinful to lack assurance. We don't have to fear those kind of questions or expect to have perfect assurance every day of our lives. That's why God gives us his word here. He speaks to us to give us assurance of eternal life in the Son. And this passage offers us Two ways that we may know that we have eternal life in the Son. Love and belief. Love for the family, belief in Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 of the passage, chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the Son as well. So first of these two, God's children are marked by their love. Their love for God the Father and their love for his children. In verse 2 there, following on from verse 1, it says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and obeying his commands. So we love God by loving his children, and we love his children by loving God. There's this, there's this uh, reinforcing circle that's going on here. Our love for God makes us love each other, 
and our love for each other is how we love and obey God. So loving God and loving one another are inextricable. If you do one, you do the other. Remember in in Mark 12, Jesus sums up the whole Old Testament law, 600 or so individual laws with just two commands. What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, there is no commandment greater than these. I I think people get turned off Christian faith sometimes because they see it as just a massive set of rules to follow. Rules that just spoil my fun, make my life boring. But living the commands of God isn't a boring life. It isn't just a life of of rule-keeping, but it's a life of overflowing love. God calls us to live in ways that show our love for Him and for one another. That's why we don't steal, why we don't lie. That's, that's why we show hospitality to one another, why we pray for each other, to show love for each other. I love the, the family imagery in this passage that helps us understand this. And I know, I know lots of people in the room, uh, when we talk about the love of a family, will have mixed reactions to that. There might, might be some who uh, look sideways at your spouse and roll your eyes as your children tear each other's eyes out in kingfishers, uh, and there might be others who have real deep hurt uh, in our families, hurt from our siblings or from our parents. So we have, we have mixed reactions to this kind of language. But, but families at their best are a wonderful expression of this kind of back-and-forth, all-for-one, one-for-all kind of love. I'm, I'm really lucky to have had a very positive family experience growing up, and I've, I've definitely learned a great deal about how we, as church, should love one another from the way that my family loves one another. There's that, there's that kind of instinctive, deep loyalty to one another, even if we don't get on that well, that deep shared identity that binds families, right? When, when I was uh, 18, I was on a, a gap year after I finished high school, and I was volunteering uh, at a conservation centre in Kenya, on the coast. And there's lots of malaria around there on the coast in Kenya. So before I went, I went to the doctor and I got these anti-malarial pills. Uh, and instead of getting the ones that you take every day, I got pills that you take once a week, just because it's less work. And the doctor told me, he said, make sure you take these first thing in the morning, because if you take them later in the day, you'll have really weird, hallucinating kind of dreams. And because I was 18, and 18-year-olds aren't always that smart, I decided that I'd take them before bed every night just to see what happened. (laughs) And across the the three months that I was at this place, I was having these vivid, intense, recurring dreams over and over and over again, where I had to protect my little brother. I've got a brother who's five, six years younger than me, so he would have been about 13 at that time. And I was having these dreams, all kinds of different scenarios, situations, where he was in trouble, he was under threat, uh, he was in danger, and I had to protect him, had to, to rescue him. There's that, we, that kind of consuming, deep, instinctive loyalty that we have, I think, for our family. And that's, that's what we should have 
for one another as well. When, when Ronnie and I, my wife and I, first arrived here at St. John's uh, almost a year ago in January, we were so encouraged and it struck us so quickly by the length of time, generations, that, that people have been in each other's lives here. People who have spent their lifetimes going to church together, who've been led by people and now are leading those people's kids, uh, who've, whose kids have married each other, who've served together in ministries for decades. Those are wonderful expressions of church as family. And hearing those stories just then of, of Carolyn's love and service and the way that she's received love from the family here is a wonderful expression of that as well. Ronnie and I grew up at, at one church together. We were there for 25 years. Uh, and, and we had that same family depth of relationship with that community there. That, that's a wonderful gift that God gives to his people. And that, that love marks Christians. John said back in chapter 3 of his letter, love comes from God and if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's not, it's not a certain amount of theological knowledge or a certain type of spiritual experience or a certain heritage that marks out Christians. It's their love. It's their God-given love for the Father and for his children. And so John can say here in verse 3 that God's commands are not burdensome. Sometimes it might feel like they are, doesn't it? That's definitely what people on the outside think. But if God's commands are to love and to be loved by one another, that's not burdensome. That's, that sounds wonderful. That's something that I want to be part of. That's life to the full. This kind of radical, family-shaped love is a way that we can show the gospel through our lives, especially in our society. Right? In a society with lots of competing worldviews and truth claims, and one in which experience and relationship are valued pretty much above everything else, we should have the best community life of any group in our society. And if we do, if we have that kind of community, it points people to Jesus. I've seen this happen. I know people who have become Christians from observing how the followers of Jesus love one another, care for one another. And the Spirit points them to Christ and they hear the gospel and they believe. And it happened in the early centuries of the church as well. The Christians, they loved one another. They cared for their widows and orphans. They ate together in one another's houses. They showed hospitality. Merchants and slaves treated one another like brothers and sisters. People became Christians by the thousands, despite systemic persecution of that family community. So, so here's the, the question for us. If you're a member of this community, of this church, do you love these people like your family? Who in this room do you love like that? that? That deep, instinctive, primal loyalty that you feel for your biological family, do you feel that for us 
the, the time, the energy, the grace, the commitment that you devote to your biological family, do you devote that to us? Because it's, it's one of the primary ways that your life demonstrates that you have eternal life in Jesus. And of course, the wonderful thing is, if we're a community of people who show love like that, then we're a community of people who receive love like that, aren't we? Christian community isn't just about giving love, it's about receiving love from the Father and from one another. If you're, if you're not sure whether you show this kind of love, if you're not sure whether you love people in this room, whether you've been here for six weeks or 60 years, you could start really simply by inviting someone around for a meal, taking them out for lunch after church, or a really non-threatening first step that John gives us in his passage, pray for them. Verse 16 and 17 there in our passage, you can show love to your brother or sister by praying for them. There's a, there's a bit of a confusing line that you might have noticed while we read through in there about not praying for sin that leads to death. He's, John's probably writing about false teachers who were in this community and they were denying the gospel. They were denying that we're saved through Jesus. Uh, and so that they've, they've, those people have abandoned the gospel. They're unbelievers and their sin leads to death. John's point here that he's making is that he wants Christians, believers, to be praying for each other. So here, that, that he's not including those who aren't believers. You can love us by praying for us. Pray for us as a family together. Pray for us as individuals who are struggling or going through a hard time or suffering or who are doing great. Pray for us. And one of the awesome things about prayer is that as you pray for someone, God changes your heart to feel more love for that person. As they're on your mind and on your heart, as you bring them before God over and over, your, your affection, your love grows for them as well. One of the, the fundamental ways that you can identify a child of God is by their love for the family. Their love for God the Father, their love for Jesus, our firstborn brother, and for all the children of God. So show that in your life by loving us. And the, the other mark of a child of God is on the one hand very simple, but is one of the most profound and beautiful and wonderful truths that you will ever hear. Children of God believe in Jesus. Children of God believe in Jesus. There are, there are belief words uh, all through our passage today, words that you would hashtag for the passage like testify, testimony, how we know belief. Children of God are those who believe in Jesus, those who have faith that the testimony of God about his son is true. They are his children. Children of God believe that Jesus of Nazareth, who walked on planet Earth 2,000 years ago, was God dwelling among us, as one of us, 
living a perfect life, being punished for our sin in our place to show the Father's love and justice and to bring us back into the family of God. Children of God believe that Jesus is our Saviour and our Lord, that he is our, our rescuer and our King. And, and belief in Jesus is more than just cognitive agreement. Belief in Jesus is transforming. This isn't like believing that men have walked on the moon or that Antarctica actually exists even though you've never been there. This is, this is belief that actually changes you, transforms you. This is belief where the love of Christians comes from, from our belief in the Lord of love. And, and belief in Jesus is a, a deep, deep connection. One of my, my favourite times of the year is the AFL draft. I'm a big footy fan and I love the AFL draft. This is where the 17 and 18-year-olds get picked up by clubs to come onto their playing lists. I love reading about the, the strengths, the potential of each player before the draft and then researching about the ones that my club has picked up uh, once they're in. And I especially love when a team, when a, a kid gets picked up by a team that he's barracked for as a kid. You can, you can watch the, the draft live and sometimes these young guys, they get picked up by a club that they hate, so it's usually Collingwood, and you can, you can see it on their face. They come up to the stage and they have to shake the hand of the coach and they're trying to force a smile, but you can see inside they're just shattered that this has happened to them. But when a young guy gets picked up by the club that he's supported as a kid, that he spent his life following, you see him beaming from ear to ear about getting to become part of that footy club. And, and when these guys get drafted to the club that they support, the, the quality of their connection to the club changes. It deepens. Before, they were, they were a supporter. They probably went to some games each year. Maybe they paid a couple of hundred bucks for their membership. But now, they, they are on the list. They are the future of the club. They get a jumper number. They get a locker. They get merchandise with their face on it. The, the quality of their connection to the club goes to a whole new, much deeper level. And belief in Jesus is much more, much deeper than being a supporter of Jesus. It's more than barracking for Jesus. Jesus isn't over there and you go for him, you support him. No, if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says, you are in him and he is in you. It's even deeper than being on the team with him. You have what the Bible calls union with Jesus. It's deep connection. You don't have Jesus' poster on your wall. No, you and Jesus are closer than husband and wife, closer than the mother and the unborn child inside her. You have union. Verse 20 of our passage says, We are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. This is how John can say in verse 18 that those who are born of God stop sinning. That's another um, perhaps confusing verse. He can't, he can't mean that Christians' lives are completely without sin. 
right? Because that's just not the case, for me at least. And he said just before in verse 16 that we should pray for a brother or sister who commits a sin. But the sin which leads to death that he's writing about, the sin of those in this church who are denying the gospel, denying Jesus, Christians are freed from that, that state of sin. We go from being in sin, which leads to death, to being in union with Jesus, which leads to life. And because Jesus is life, he's the way, the truth, and the life, we have life through our union with him. Verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. It's another hashtag theme for this passage. There's lots of life, eternal life, death language in there. This is what's at stake with belief in Jesus. And this is the great reward that comes from our union with him. If you know Jesus, you know life. I went to a a conference a few years back, a Christian conference, and one of the sessions, uh, the worship was led by a group of indigenous faith leaders. And they led us in this song that I hadn't heard before, but I loved it for the simplicity uh, and and the, the magnitude of the lyrics that we sang. Here are the lyrics of the whole song. No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. It's, it's that simple. If you believe in Jesus, if you know Jesus, you have life in him. And if you don't, you don't. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all people. If, if you're not sure about whether you have life in its fullness now, and whether you have eternal life after you die, then the answer to that question is based on your belief in Jesus. Life is in him. So some of us in the room are Christians and we feel sure of our eternal life in Jesus. Some of us think we're children of God, but we don't have a great deal of assurance. And some of us in the room know we don't believe in Jesus. And I think that's something in this passage for all of us. If, if you're here and you're not sure about God, not sure what to believe, you're not sure what it would even look like to believe in God, then this is it. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. You don't have to get your life together and be a good enough person to be religious. You don't have to pray five times a day or get over your addictions first or pass some test. Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to do. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that liberating? Isn't that freeing? You don't have to make God love you because you can't, at least I can't. 
There's no way I could be earn enough, I could be good enough to earn the love of a perfect God. I know what I'm like, but I don't have to, and neither do you. Just believe in Jesus. For, for me, believing in Jesus is freedom. TV and my uni course and the, the media and everything tells us that Christianity is restrictive and limiting. But believing in Jesus is freedom. It's, it's hope. It's the best life you could live. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. Not an insignificant little human who desperately tries to please a distant and angry God. Not a spirit trapped inside a body trying to escape to be one with the universe. Not a speck of dust in the galaxy that comes and goes in a moment. A child of God. If you have a child, all the love that you could ever feel for them pales in comparison with the love that God feels for you. Any sacrifice that you could ever make for the good of your family is nothing next to the sacrifice that God in Christ has made for you. Every huge and every imperceptible way that your family has formed you, shaped you, made you who you are, that is far less than the Holy Spirit of God will change your life to be like that of your father and your brother, Jesus. If you want to know God, if you want life in all its fullness now and eternal life with God, then believe in Jesus. If, if you think you're a Christian, but you're not sure if you don't feel secure, if you lack assurance, then I hope you are reassured and comforted by God's words to you here. Believing in Jesus is enough. You who believe in the name of the Son of God know that you have eternal life. You will see that belief in the Son transforming you by your love for the family. You might not feel right now like you're the most loving person. Maybe you've been challenged by God's word here about whether you love God's people like family. But God is doing that work in you to change you, to make you more like Jesus. And, and finally, for all of us, for all who are children of God, if we can have assurance of life, then we can have assurance in prayer. That's John's application here. In verse 13 and 14. Because God is our good Father. He loves to hear our voices and answer our prayers. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and he answers us. So let's, let's pray to him now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for making us your children. We pray, Lord, for those of us who lack assurance that you would comfort us and reassure us. For those of us who don't know you, who aren't part of the family of God, that you would help us to believe in Jesus. 
and for those of us who do know you, who are your children. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.